So today's story closes out 1 Samuel, and at 31 chapters, there is quite a lot of story arc. The book begins with an affirmation. Hannah is granted a child. Yet that child's first task as a prophet comes when Samuel is told to rebuke Eli. And we have looked at this back and forth that runs through the whole book of 1 Samuel. God rejects using the Ark of the Covenant as a magical tiki. Israel is defeated when they try it. Yet God still affirms the Ark as a sign of his presence. And by directly smiting the Philistines, he affirms its power and has it returned. Then later, the people reject God and the judges as rulers over them. Yet God, at the same time, affirms their desire for a king by anointing Saul. And Saul himself, because he's not right with God, is then rejected. But David is then later affirmed king in Saul's stead. So this yes of God makes David a giant killer. Yet that no of God makes Saul try to hunt down David in the remainder of the book that we did not look at. And 1 Samuel is full of these forward and these background steps, but it ends on a sour note, and I can't make it too sweet, because it ends on a note of rejection, the death of Saul, as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines, and many fell dead on Mount Geboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Machishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard upon Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by them. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, so that these uncircumcised may not come and thrust me through and make sport of me. But Saul's armor barrier was unwilling, for he was terrified. So Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. When his armor bearer saw that, saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his own sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all the men died together on the same day. When the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the, the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their own towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, the Philistines came to strip the dead. They found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. They cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the houses of their idols and of their people. They put Saul's armor in the temple of Astarte, the goddess, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Gabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men set out, traveled all night long, and took the body of Saul and the body of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. 
They came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh. And the men fasted seven days. So the question is, how do we deal with that no that ends the book of 1 Samuel? I've literally racked my head on this all week. From a historical point of view, from the historical side, this is the end of a dynasty that in the next book, 2 Samuel, is going to make way for better things. It, it's a tragedy that makes way for the new historically, and we often experience in our own stories the losses that eventually create a new life. We lose a job, we fall out with a friend, things are painful to lose, but as the old proverb says, when God closes a door, he opens a window. We can look at things that way, but the problem is, is it doesn't quite hit the no. That's the kind of no. And then a lot of the commentators, when I was looking up this verse, they look at the character side. And I disagree with most of the commentators here because I actually find some things admirable about Saul in this whole thing here. He's brave. The chapter we didn't read preceding this, Saul goes and meets the witch at Endor. And the witch conjures up the ghost of Saul, who, that ghost of Samuel, who tells Saul that he is doomed. So Saul is pretty brave to get in this fight because he's ghost doomed. He's not regular doomed, he's ghost doomed. That's pretty bad. And Saul also shows himself acting very different here. When Goliath was there, Saul was a coward. He wouldn't come out. But here he suits up and he fights anyways, knowing he's going to lose. So he's a knight who puts on a good front, readies a hopeless charge. I see the best of manliness in this. So I think Saul's death, if we ignore the moral mechanics of it, of how he died, but if we look at the way he faced it, Saul is someone I can admire from a character perspective here. And at the very least, it would make a good movie because 1 Samuel chapter 31, it's basically Russell Crowe in Gladiator if you look at it that way. He's a tragic hero here. And I do not feel it's fair to assassinate Saul's character like some of the commentators were doing. But that doesn't get at the theological. That's still just like, okay, Saul was a good person. There's this historical thing that we can look at. How does this story of Saul getting beat and just killing himself in desperation to not be tortured, how does that help my Christian walk in life? How does that help my hearers today? I, I think that's why I can't go with the historical, there's going to be a positive spin. David's going to end up king. David is not a consolation prize for this terrible thing that happened to Saul. And in most of the things where we say, well, God closed the door, but he's opened the window, we make these wonderful blessings consolation prizes. I think this is a grim story. It's a grim reality that Saul's death is a gritty, serious no to his kingship. The question is, I find what God is rejecting here a tad ephemeral and hard to describe. Saul's not bad in a lot of ways later kings will be in the Bible. He doesn't set up idols, even when judges like Gideon did. Saul doesn't have a mistress that takes him down. The only fault Saul has, the only reason he can draw this no, is on the inside. We talked about David the last two weeks, about how on the inside David had that God loves me 
and he was sure about it. And that was what allowed him to just be completely different from Saul. It's what allowed him to kill giants. Saul just never, I'm sorry, to kill Goliath. Saul never makes that personal connection with God that David does. David could say in his heart, and we we look at his Psalms, he could say, God loves me. Saul just never gets there. And that defines his whole kingship. But more than that, it defines his country's relationship of crown and temple, of piety and politics. And I think that is the way Saul gets told a no. But let me illustrate this in a way that probably, that might help. I forgot the rest of my notes. Saul, as a king, because he lacked that deep down connection with God, only ever did things in human power. No matter how good it was, Saul's religion, anything, it was connected to what God could give him. So he wanted to, at best, be a person who was made stronger by God, where he never made the deep down connection that God was going to be his strength. A way we can illustrate this is by and make it somehow applicable to Christian life is we can look at what the church is doing, the global church, not you guys, in fields like missionary and apologetics work. There is a lot of good work done in those fields. Some of it I love to use because it's great when someone comes with a big giant question and you got the answer in the back of your pocket. But there is always the danger whenever we are trying to preach, whenever we are trying to teach, or whenever we especially argue with our culture, of doing it on a human level. We, on the human level, can only argue against humans. So the world sees the church when it is in this mode. They see that a person is arguing with another person. A man is contending with a man. That was the best Saul could ever get in his religious walk. Saul was a good king because of his human side. And if it came down to a contest of men, Saul could beat a lot of Philistines, just as certain generals fight better than other generals. And we have this struggle in our Christian life where there are people who can win folks to Christ because their human philosophy is better than someone else's. We have Christians who will have a more moral walk than others simply because the person is more moral. And we have the danger, and it's what Saul represents, of just leaving those things on the human level and adding God on top of it as kind of some salt and seasoning, but not really getting down to anything spiritual. That's what God had to say no to. Because Saul, he never messes up like David does. He's a great person. But a great person is not enough to be God's king. And in fact, that gets down to the whole gospel. Because what's the point of all this salvation through faith stuff? That when we come to the final judgment, being a good person isn't enough to pass muster. God is looking for something else. If you keep every single commandment, you probably get to heaven and the Lord would just be like, wow, man, you really... Did you expect that to be it? We we are going to be moving into a new series where we'll be looking at moral quandaries. And this will, I will be honest, is a tad threatening as a pastor to touch some of the things in the Sermon on the Mount these days. They're not going to be particularly popular. 
But if we look at them only from a human viewpoint, they will disqualify every single one of us. Because Saul's lesson is Saul is a very good person. But like every single human life, Saul runs up to his end. No matter how far you run from it, the Philistines eventually get you on the hill. And it doesn't matter what the Philistines are. They're disease, it's poverty, one thing or the other. Every human life comes to a moment where it is at the end, and a human kingdom will always fall at that point. And the reason God said no to that particular kingdom is he had another one in mind. And we have another king who we serve. We have a king in Jesus Christ. And that's where God starts saying his yes. And we notice the difference between the kingdom of Saul and the kingdom of Christ only when they get up on the mountain. The best human, the best of pride, once it's out of strength, has no choice but to fall on its sword or be resigned. But Christ, when he comes up to the hill, he lays down his life. He takes all of it upon himself but he is never resigned to the death. I had hoped to work this into a great conclusion with a poem. I think it may still work if I can put it this way. Saul, as a great guy, as a brave man, could get to the point where at the end he could protect the honor of his kingdom, whatever. But it didn't do him any good. A Christian, when they get to the end, gets faced with that same dilemma. That's what I'm really trying to work for. You get put in the same situation Saul is in, no matter how long you get out of it. We're going to end up at the end of our lives. And in that same situation, you are going to be faced with two choices. You are going to be faced with the choice of do you continue to keep on your human understanding, and I can tell you how that's going to end. Do you keep counting on your own merits, on the fact you're a good person, to get you out of it? Or... Do you trust the power of Christ, which doesn't quite make you perfect? It doesn't quite make you the best person, but it does give you one fantastic and wonderful thing. Christ has conquered death. That's the difference here. This whole no to Saul, just to boil it down, is Saul is a king who can die. His kingdom can fall apart. Everything he stands for, no matter how good he is, will end. That is the same for us if we are in the natural state. No matter how good our religion is, our faith is, our behavior, we will get to a point where it ends. And God, in rejecting Saul, has rejected that situation. He has set up another kingdom that shall have no end, that has a righteousness that doesn't belong to us, that will not end. We have a character and a Holy Spirit that comes into us and it gives us new life. So I'll just sum things up with this poem from Dylan Thomas that I just love because the problem I have with Saul is the way he met the end. And the way so many Christians meet the end is they just give up. My friends, if you're pushed up on the hill and the Philistines have you surrounded, that's the time to charge. That's the time to realize that you have Christ with you and you cannot be defeated. So I present you with the poem, Do Not Go Into That Good Night. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the close of the day. 
Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words have forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in the green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. My friends, you are sons and daughters of light unconquerable. You cannot comport yourself like Saul. You must do better unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, unless your bravery exceeds that of David, unless you can stand and claim in your heart that Christ love you, you will come to the end and fall on your sword. But if you can claim in your heart that Christ love you and Christ loves you and personally, then when it comes to that moment of the strongest defeat, then you know Christ has already taken it, blunted the blade, and even more defeated it, for he is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we don't know what to do with some of the Bible stories. We read about tragic events in far-off places and geography that we don't even understand. And we try to pull some meaning from it because you've made it all instructional for our good. Lord, I pray regardless of the preacher that his intent would be recognized, that you would build a people who are brave, who rest on your spirit, who are stronger than David. For Lord, your Holy Spirit has come into each and every one of their hearts in a way that the prophets could never even imagine. Lord, make that a reality for each and every one of them. May we be a light on a hill, salt that is salty as it gets, and may we be not afraid even when the gates of hell rattle. For Lord, you have kicked them open. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.